morning. I just wanted to thank everyone that prayed for us going to Spain. Um, everything went very well. I did. I did push it. Are we there? Oh. It wasn't me. I pushed the button. I mean, I... I don't know how many times I haven't pushed the button, but I did. I pushed the button. So um, it was a good trip, and uh, we had good seats. And the first day we were there, uh, Sarah walked all over the place, and uh, she said her legs were weak, but they never gave out. She said that it's not better, but there's something different. So we need to keep praying uh, for her. Uh, the couple that she's staying with, the pastor, Honduran pastor, they have a missions church in Barcelona, and I got to speak in the church. It's about three, 400 people, and it's an Amore Viente church, which is the group that uh, we have worked with in Honduras and the group that Mary Lou and uh, my mind went blank. Dan, thank you. Dan and Mary Lou uh, work with, and uh, actually they're friends of theirs, and they offered to have Sarah stay there permanently, so it's a very covered situation. She's going to be involved with the church. Uh, they also asked her to work, uh, do some children's ministry, which she can do along with Puente. So just keep praying for Sarah. You know, it's very hard for me, and I know her mother, knowing what she went through to have her go back out on the front lines. So it's a, it's a struggle. So do pray for her, and if you want to be in some kind of committed uh, group, which we do have, you can talk to my wife, and you'll get regular reports on uh, things to pray about. So, Okay, this morning, I want to be sharing with you on the topic of evangelism. Uh, the elders have been praying and have felt that this year's emphasis should be evangelism, and I think... We did something at the end of the year, and then I know that Jim shared in regard to warfare, uh, in regard to evangelism. Uh, we're talking about personal and corporate evangelism. We do have a, a, a council uh, working with that, and uh, there'll be different things that are going on. But I want to address the issue of personal evangelism, which is really on my heart. Um, our responsibility as individuals to share the gospel with the lost. And, you know, we've heard this before, and I really want you to pray as I share with you these verses that the Lord really get a hold of your heart. Um, I know a lot of people struggle, and they, they say, you know, that's just not my personality. I'm not outgoing. You know, of course, you can do that, but, you know, I'm, I can't do that. And I've said this before, but, you know, God makes us the way we are for a purpose. Our personality, how we approach things. It's so that you can get to people that I can't get to. A person that I might talk to that wouldn't even listen, you will talk in a very quiet, gentle, and they'll listen. 
And God has geared each of us individually to be able to do that. But we have to be, and I put this in here somewhere, we have to be proactive. I really like that word, proactive. And we have to be intentional. You know, I know my wife has shared, you know, she she struggles with this. She's a quiet person. And, and to come out and talk to people you don't know, it's not that easy. And so she, she tends to be intentional. When we're somewhere out and about, she's thinking about it, she's praying about it, and she's looking for opportunities. This is the attitude we need to have, uh, the attitude we need to have. I look back over my messages that I've preached in the church. I actually have them all on my computer. I think I have all of them. And in January of 1995... Same month, 23 years ago, I did a message here in the church on what it means to be a Great Commission church. And out of that came a booklet called The Great Commission Church, and I've preached this in various places. Uh, This message came from a sermon that was preached by Dr. Howard Fultz, and he actually preached here and did a missions conference with us one time, uh, professor of missions at Regent University. And he stated this, he believed that every church was called to be a Great Commission church. Every church was called to be a Great Commission church. And then he defined it. And he said this, a church that integrates the life of the church around the Great Commission. It should be the driving force of the church. And you know, when I preached that, it was kind of like preaching to the choir. I mean, we have continued and developed. We have attempted to do just that. We have attempted to be a Great Commission church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is one of the key verses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Okay, this is saying, When you receive power, you shall be my witnesses. I've taught in various places on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I've stated that although that is a great part of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, that there is a purpose for this power encounter, and the purpose is to be a witness, is to be a witness. And actually, the scriptures clearly say that signs and wonders, these kinds of things that manifest because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, are to confirm the word of God and to confirm who God is. A witness. Dr. Paul King, who was a member of TCF, many of you may remember him, a Missionary Alliance pastor, he wrote an article called Dynamos for Jesus. Dynamos for Jesus. And this is a quote from this article on this scripture. He said, we receive power to speak a witness. And one of the things he's talking about here is proclamation, that the power of God is given to give us utterance. This involves what is called proclamation evangelism. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he transforms our speech. He anoints us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. We receive power to speak with wisdom and spontaneity under the leading of the Spirit. And we think about the verse that says, don't fear Uh, When you're brought before authorities, it will be the Father speaking through you, that we can trust God to do that when we're in those kind of situations, or we want to express the proclamation of the gospel. 
In Acts 1.8, it says, In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, Many versions say to the uttermost parts of the earth. The sense in the Greek language is that these two areas are of equal weight and importance. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's not either or, but both and. Local evangelism and world missions. And they're to be accomplished concurrently, not consecutively. Concurrently, at the same time. And not one after the other. One accomplished, then the other, or a focus on one rather than the other. They're together. And we as a church have been very faithful to fulfill the commission to world missions. We have. But the Great Commission starts in our homes, in our neighbors, where we live. We are all called to be missionaries. It's good that we either go, support, pray for world missions, but in our place, we are called to be missionaries, to be witnesses. And I've used the term in the past uh, that we are responsible for our sphere of influence, uh, where we live and move and have our being. And uh, I, I think one time I, I said, picture a map, picture yourself, picture where you live, put a circle where you go. Another person over here where you live, circle, and they just fill a huge area. If, in fact, we take responsibility for our sphere of influence. This is a great area of need, an area that only you can penetrate. You, you go places, I don't go. Our crossovers right now, here's a crossover. We're all here in the same place, same time. But after this, we scatter, okay? In November 1994, Jim Garrett and I were in Trinity Mennonite Church in Morton, Illinois, and we went to an early morning prayer meeting with the leadership of the church. And as we were sitting there in the prayer room, they had different things on the walls, and there was a poster. And I looked at this poster, and it really struck me. So while everybody else was praying, I wrote down what the poster said. And this is what it said. It was by an anonymous New Testament professor, and he said this. In my estimation, the greatest threat to Christianity is not communism, not atheism, not cultism. In my estimation, the greatest threat to Christianity is Christians who are trying to sneak into heaven incognito without ever sharing their faith or becoming involved. We have a responsibility. We are to be a witness. We need to be faithful to fulfill that. Someone once said, you may be the only Jesus someone ever meets. They'll never come into a church building. They'll never be in a situation where they're confronted with the gospel but you are there, and you are the witness. The Great Commission is expressed in two areas of Scripture. The first one is Mark 16, verse 15 through 18. 16, 15 through 18. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And again, I truly believe that these manifestations are to confirm 
the proclamation of the word. The word is proclaimed and God moves. There's an area of Acts chapter 4 where they're praying after persecution and they're praying for boldness and it talks about that and, he, and the prayer consists of, Lord, give us boldness and Lord, you follow with signs and wonders to confirm the word of God through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Every time I read this, I think about what Chuck Ferris said. Chuck was uh, uh, one of the pastors here in the church, one of the founding pastors. And he said when he saw this go into all the world, what he saw was we are to go into every man's world. To go into every man's world. And that's why God gives you the vocation he gives you. That's why he gives you the personality that he gives you. That's why God gives you all the dynamics that make you who you are is so that you can go to a specific particular area in a certain person's world and speak the gospel to them. Get a grip on that. That's the reality. In your vocation, school, shopping, whatever it might be, God has ordered all that. Okay, the second area is Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. These are the two classic uh, Great Commission verses. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the Great Commission is to preach the gospel and make disciples. And I have seen this practically worked out in witnessing. You know, as I talk to someone and things start opening up, they might not know the Lord. Well, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel. Then I find out they know the Lord, and I don't stop there. Are you committed to a good, do you have a good church? Are you in a church? Oh, yeah, I'm in a church. Are you reading your Bible? Do you see where I'm heading? Discipleship. <laughs> I saw something recently where this lady said, what would you consider your prayer life to be, hot or cold? <laughs> and it's struggling, you know, and kind of came lukewarm somewhere in the middle there. But basically, we have a responsibility with those that we meet, those that we relate to. Uh, Jim Garrett, years ago, wrote a paper entitled, The New Testament Church's Response to the Great Commission. And in that paper, he did a study on the Greek word for the word go in the Great Commission passages. And what this Greek word has is three different meanings or applications. One is to go, an imperative participle, a command or appeal. This is how we usually look at this. Number two, as you go, a simple participle, when you go, wherever you go. And number three, if you go, a conditional participle, if you decide to go or when you go. And how you utilize this in translation is you look at the context and what works in that context. And, you know, I was looking at this, I said, if you go, well, it seems like we're always going somewhere. And then if you go kind of goes with as you go. So it seems like looking at this, an accurate translation would be that it was a command or appeal and also that it is saying when you go, wherever you go. Someone once said, until you're sent somewhere, just do the second one. When you go, wherever you go. 
We are to proclaim the gospel to everyone we meet. Now, Jim also said in this paper, and this really struck me, with this understanding of the participle, it would imply that if every Christian did this in his own place of residence, the nations would be discipled. This is God's plan for evangelizing the world, for fulfilling the Great Commission, is that each and every one of us take responsibility for our sphere of influence and communicate the gospel to everyone we meet as we go and have opportunity. But it's not being done. It's not being done. And so things are created. There's nothing wrong with the things that are created, evangelistic crusades, how many people were saved through Billy Graham crusades and so on. This is fine. But that wasn't God's first. God's first was what we're talking about right here. Individually, being responsible. We have a commission. And someone once said, a commission means a command. You could change it to say the great command. We have a commission. I was in uh, Japan, and I was preaching in a small church. Most of the churches in Japan are small. But I was preaching in this church, and I was talking about the great commission, and I said, it's a great command. It's not the great suggestion. <laughs> it's not the great suggestion. John W.R. Stott was chaplain to the Queen of England. He was at the World Congress of Evangelism, 1968, and he made this statement. And this is just powerful. He made this statement. The church is under orders. And this is an Anglican. The church is under orders. The risen Lord has commanded it to go to preach, and to make disciples. And that is enough. The church engages in evangelism today, not because it wants to, or because it chooses to, or because it likes to, but because it has been told to. Evangelistic inactivity is disobedience. That's what he said. I think it's fairly accurate. Years ago, I got a hold of a book, and I don't know if Voice of the Martyrs still has it, but it was a book called 70 Great Christians. It was a thick book, excellent book. 70 Great Christians, Godfrey Hanks. And in chapter 3, was entitled, Christianity Comes to Britain. And they approached the historical record of how Christianity came to England. And we know that if we look at the 1700s, 1800s, England was the great country that pushed the gospel out into the world. Missionaries, you know, we think of the Cambridge Seven, we think of all these different things that were occurring and how God used that nation uh, to spread the gospel. And, and it's said in the book here, how Christianity came to Britain poses an even more difficult question. And it is possible only to conjecture an answer. The most appealing suggestion is that Christianity was brought to these shores by ordinary people. Like most religious ideas in the first three centuries, it may have been brought by traders, who heard the gospel in other parts of the empire. The churches of Lyons in Vienna and Gaul, for example, were probably founded by immigrants from Asia Minor in the second century. The message could have easily been carried further to Britain by merchants. It is also possible that Britons traveling abroad could have become Christians and then upon returning to their native land, shared their new faith with others. Whatever the case is, it is certain that the church in Britain was not founded as the result of an evangelistic mission, but because ordinary people shared the good news of Jesus with their friends and neighbors. A whole nation 
came to Christ. These were ordinary people proclaiming the gospel wherever they went. Bill Sanders, our founding pastor, used to say, wherever you go, you are to gossip the gospel. Because of this, a nation was one to Christ, a nation that ended up impacting the world with the gospel. Romans 10, verse 8. Let's look at Romans 10. Classic area. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then it really gets down to the nitty-gritty. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now we've taken this word preach, and I I talk a lot about this in, in Russia, because they actually have what's called the office of a preacher. It's kind of interesting, actually, because, you know, it talks about apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers and so on, but, but they have an office of a preacher. A preacher is basically, I think it's more like a teacher, but he's an, an, a man who's, who's an itinerant guy who preaches in various churches, okay? A preacher. So I tell them, and I would say this, we have made this word preach into a religious word. We think about preach, and we think about preachers, and we think, I am not a preacher, and I am not called to preach. See, we've taken that as something religious. This is a Greek word, and what this Greek word means is to proclaim publicly, to proclaim publicly. So let's get the religiosity out of it and just lay it out there and say that we are responsible, each of us, to go out and to proclaim publicly the gospel, to one person, to two people, or if God permits, a larger group of people. Paul had this unusual understanding as he wrote this and in thinking in his his mind that all Christians are called to be preachers. They're all called to proclaim publicly in their sphere of influence, not to change their personality, not to become... Uh, someone that they're not, but just in that situation, who they are to share the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus has done in their life. Those are the two things, your testimony and what the word of God says as to who Jesus is. Those two things. You don't have to know a lot of theology. You don't have to be a preacher because we are all called to proclaim publicly. It is our responsibility. Chuck Farah used to say that uh, we shouldn't sit around and wait to be sent because actually, if we read the Gospels, Jesus already sent you. He said, go. He said, go. 
So until a specific thing where you feel called to a country or whatever, if you never feel called for a country, God has said, go and share your faith everywhere you go with everyone you meet. As you go, when you go. And the word of God says in here, if we don't go, if we don't speak, then how will they hear and how will they believe? God has chosen us to be his witnesses. This is God's plan, and we need to cooperate with his plan. To do this, we need to have a burden for the lost. We need to have the heart of God. And I want to talk about this a little bit because I think it's really something we can, we can dwell on and look at and allow the Lord to give us and to pray that we would receive from him as his heart for the lost, his heart for people who don't know him. Uh, Jonathan Gainsborough, uh, some of you who were here in the 70s, he got, he got in the news a lot. He was pretty radical. Um, he was Jewish, and he was an evangelist, and he used to go to the synagogue with a bullhorn, and he got beat up a couple times, and they chased him off. And, but anyway, he was a pretty radical guy. But he said that we need to have our hearts be broken with the things that break the heart of God. And he had these little stickers and I had a number of them, that our hearts would be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Our motivation for evangelism should be God's love for the lost. If we look at 2 Corinthians 5, we won't read the whole thing, but you might go there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And actually, someone mentioned this uh, the last Sunday, as people were sharing testimony, did a great job talking about 2 Peter 5, 17 through 20. But this area clearly shows our responsibility to evangelize the lost. It says things like, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It says he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And the word commit means to entrust. He has entrusted it to us. What does that mean? He has given us this word of reconciliation which is the name of Jesus. He has given us this word of reconciliation, and he trusts that we will be faithful to pass it on. He trusts us. That's what it means to commit. Another uh, verse says we are ambassadors for Christ. We are from another kingdom here in this kingdom representing God. We are ambassadors for Christ. Then in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, it declares our motivation for doing this. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ compels us. Now that word means it forces us. We don't have a choice. The love of God, the love of Christ compels us that those who live, talking about us, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. If, if truly you no longer live for yourself, but you live for him who died and rose again, then in fact, the love of Christ will compel you, compel you to be an ambassador, to, to give the word of reconciliation. God's love should compel us, should force us to take action and take responsibility because we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. His love should be our motivation. Jesus loves them. He died for them. 
We need to have the heart of God and a burden for the lost. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you in regard to God's burden for the lost. And every time I read these, one in particular, I just come under incredible uh, conviction. Because really, you know, I do have a heart for the lost, but this is kind of extreme. You know, I just, it's, it's an amazing uh, thing to see God's heart uh, for people. Matthew 18, verse 11, and then verse 14. 18, 11, then 14. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That's verse 14. 1 Timothy 2.4. 1 Timothy 2.4. He desires all men, this last part of the verse, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the one that always pierces my heart. Ezekiel 33.11. Ezekiel 33. 11. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And, and I look at that, you know, and I, and I think, uh, you know, when we finally got word that Saddam Hussein uh, was dead, uh, that didn't bother me a bit. In fact, I was pretty pleased. You know, just one more gone. You know, that's not God's attitude. I mean, this is really pretty radical when you think about it. I think really, you know, we are either pleased or just relieved uh, when the wicked die. But here it says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. He's talking about every single soul. God loves the lost. He would not have even one parish, but that all would turn from wickedness and be saved. There is no one alive too wicked that God would not have them turn and be saved. This needs to be our heart. The final verse in this teaching is Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. And it's very appropriate. And I'm going to read it slowly. It says, deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. When I teach this overseas, you know, when I went, first went to Russia, uh, the church is very, was very conservative. Jim remembers this. Jim told me one time, he said, boy, if God hadn't called me to work with these guys, he said, you know, they are so conservative. <laughs> And there was a time where, you know, you had to, when you stood behind the pulpit, you weren't allowed to move, okay? And then moving your hands, and then moving out away from the pulpit, and so on. I mean, it was just incredible. So what I'd do is I'd say, Pastor, could you come here? So the pastor would come, and I said, do me a favor. I said, come, this is the edge of the podium. I said, try to get to the edge of the podium. So he'd come, and I'd grab him and hold him back, you know? And everybody starts laughing. The whole church starts laughing. They've never seen any. This crazy American. This crazy American. And I said, you are stumbling to the slaughter, and I am holding you back. I said, try harder, and I'm shoving the guy, you know. And they're starting to get it. This verse is very visual. 
It's proactive. There are people stumbling to the slaughter, and we're to hold them back. We're to get in their way, get in their face, and hold them back. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. There used to be a Jack Chick track where all these people were, were, were stumbling along and falling off a cliff. It was a horrible track. But, you know, and, it was, and we're out there with signs. The bridge is out. Don't continue. You know, It says, hold back. Hold back. Now listen to this. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deed? I didn't know. I didn't know it was my responsibility. I mean, I was... I didn't know that. Does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He keeps your soul. And he's given us a responsibility to deliver those drawn toward death, to hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. God has an expectation. He has an expectation. He has entrusted something to us. And his expectation is we would be faithful with what he has given us. He has given us the word of reconciliation. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciled to the Father. How dare we hold back from leading others into that same reconciliation? He has an expectation that we would be faithful. Faithful to the ministry of reconciliation, the Great Commission. We live in a free society. You know, they're, they're talking about in Russia this new law that they passed, which says basically you cannot proclaim the gospel in public. You can only present it inside church walls. That's what the law says. That means you can't witness to people. You can't hold evangelistic events. It could go so far as meaning you can't share with somebody in your house over a meal about Jesus. It could go that extreme. They haven't enforced it as such. They've barely used it at all. But it's there. It can happen. We live in a free society. You can talk to anyone about anything. Just talk to them. You know, and, and we're, we're getting into a situation now, though, we really need to pray about this, that, yeah, you can, you can proclaim the gospel. But it's getting to the place that if you talk about a particular sin... It could be hate speech, and you could be arrested. That's already coming. I won't mention the sins, but certain sins. It's hate speech, and it means you're, you're bigoted or you're whatever. So, you know, we need to take opportunity. Right now we have freedom. We need to be responsible for our sphere of influence. We believe, and there was... Real unity in the meeting as we talked about this, and that's why we're emphasizing it as we are. We believe as an eldership that evangelism is to be the theme of the year. You're going to hear more of it from others, but evangelism is to be the theme for the year. I believe that if we are obedient to this word, there will be a special blessing to us personally as well as to the church. This isn't why we would do it, but I really believe that is the case. Every time God speaks something to us clearly and we hear it and we're obedient, 
there is a blessing that comes with it. In James 1, 22 through 25, it talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And if you are, and you're not a forgetful hearer, you know, I was talking to one of the brothers. I said, you know, one thing I'm praying is that people don't leave this room when I'm done and say, wasn't that a great message? But don't do it. If you are not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, the word of God says you will be blessed. Actually, it says you will be blessed in all you do. That's what the word of God says. James 1, 22 and 25. I believe that the blessing of obedience in regard to this word will be spiritual health and growth for you personally, for you personally, and for the church. The blessing of obedience to this word will be spiritual health and growth for you personally as well as the church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, I just want to commit this word to you. You know, I, I, I was praying about this, and if the Lord, if the Lord has spoken to you and, there, and there's a sense of conviction, as I'm praying, just, just stand where you are before the Lord and, and just give to him whatever he asks of you. Uh, pray for a heart for the lost, uh, whatever that might mean. But let that be uh, just before the Lord, just if, if God speaks to you. Lord, we just want to commit this word to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I I embrace it myself because I I just get so busy sometimes and my mind is in in, in totally different directions. Help me to focus. And Lord, I pray that you put this word deep in our hearts and as we go about our business, whatever that might be in different situations, you would just cause our eyes to be turned in a certain direction, to see an individual and something would rise up within us. A simple word, something. Something the impulse of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray for that in the name of Jesus, that we would have eyes to see what you see and a heart to feel what you feel. And Lord, that we know that as soon as we express whatever little thing that we get for that person, more will come. And great things will happen as we transact business with God, as we bring God, the living, holy God, into that grocery store, into that drugstore, on that street, into that situation. Oh, my God. We who have the Holy Spirit, the word of reconciliation, the the very power of God in that place, it's amazing. God, help us to be obedient. And Lord, forgive us for those times we haven't, And and Lord, if we find ourselves in a situation where we don't, we're we're just going to quickly repent and move right on and make another attempt. We're going to learn. We're going to grow in this. And we're willing. So God, we ask you to do that. And we commit ourselves afresh to you and to your word and to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.